This episode of Stuff You Should Know is brought to you by Squarespace. Whether you need a landing page, a beautiful gallery, a professional blog, or an online store, it's all possible with a Squarespace website. And right now, listeners to Stuff You Should Know can start a free trial today. Just go to squarespace.com and enter the offer code STUFF, and you'll get 10% off your first purchase. Squarespace, set your website apart. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. There's Charles W. Chuck Bryan over there. And we've got guest producer Noel in the house. Noel. Uh, throw in a sound effect, Noel. <laughs> Way to go. <laughs> that was good. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming he'll do that in post, right? Uh, yeah, or maybe the sound effect is silence. Oh, okay. That's a, a lack of sound effect. We'll find out. It's like when you're a little kid and you'd have a, just a blank canvas. You'd be like, look, I did a picture of a snowman in a snowstorm. I never did that. Yeah, it's smarty. Yeah. Smart aleck. A little smart aleck kid gets what's coming to him. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So, Chuck. Yep. Do you remember we did a trivia night like years ago? Yes. On the roof of Five Seasons Brewery. In Atlanta. Yeah. Yep, I remember. Hodgman was there. Our yeah. buddy Joe Randazzo. Yeah. Dave, Dave Willis, Willis uh-huh. was on our all-star team. Sure. Dave was just looking around like, what's going on? Yeah, who are you guys? <laughs> yeah. Why do they care about you? My publicist said I should come to this. <laughs> um, that was a fun night. It was. There's a dude there, and he had uh, cerebral palsy. His name uh, was Kyle Pease. I remember him. You remember Kyle? Yep. KPZ is what he goes by. Uh-huh. And, and again, this was, what, maybe like five years ago, four years ago? No, maybe six? Like six. Okay. It was a while ago. Yeah. Um, well, Kyle was like, you guys should totally do one on cerebral palsy. And we're like, we totally should. And we didn't. Well, I ran into Kyle again when uh, Yumi and I were going to visit uh, Laurel and Braden's baby at okay. the hospital because he volunteers at Piedmont Hospital. Ah, it's all coming together. Yes. And I was like, you look really familiar. And he's like, so do you. And I remembered we'd never done one on cerebral palsy, even though we totally said we would. Did so I guilt, was like, did he guilt you on the spot? He was like, yeah. <laughs> he didn't even say anything. He just looked at me yeah. and shook his head <laughs> a little. Um, no, he was super cool about it. He's a cool cat, actually. He's, he's, he's a cool guy. Kyle, um, actually does Ironman competitions with his brother. Oh, wow. Who like wheels him along in so his wheelchair. Yeah, yeah. They did the New York Marathon. Wow. Um, and one of the wheels came off of Kyle's wheelchair. Literally. And, yeah. Not, like the wheel came off. The wheels off. came off. Right. So his brother is like just kind of like uh, helping move along, I think holding up the axle. Yeah. And um, some other people said, you know what? We don't need to make time. We'll just help with this. So like a bunch of like strangers helped uh, get Kyle across wow. the finish line with his brother. That would have been me. I would have been like, why am I running this right. thing anyway? Exactly. I'll just be a good guy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that is amazing and you see that you saw it recently in the olympics when athletes will uh forego their own uh race to help another yeah that stuff just slays me or if they're qualifying in like the first three or the first five across the finish line um go on to the the next race um they'll slow up and like finish at the same time yeah except the one jerk who like noses out in front (laughs) right so, yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool to see that, that kind of spirit, right? Yeah, man. So anyway, Kyle Pease, he's got his own foundation. Uh, I think it's kylepease.org or Kyle Pease Foundation. Probably should have looked it up. But this one's for Kyle. Yeah, and you can Google that if you yes. want to look into his foundation more. Yeah. 
So we're talking cerebral palsy, right? Yes. And it's something that like I've always known about. I've known uh, people with cerebral palsy. Like I, I, it's just something you know about. But I had no idea what was going on with the condition. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, I just assumed it was one specific thing. But it turns out that cerebral palsy is actually um, basically an umbrella term for a bunch of different conditions that stem from a bunch of different um, origins, I guess. Yeah, causes. Causes. It, that was the word I was looking for. It's not a disease. Right. Um, and the cause is always a, a brain injury of some kind. That affects your movement. Yeah, but there can be all kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. And we're going to get into all that, obviously. And actually, you can develop cerebral palsy from a disease, but like you said, cerebral palsy True. itself is not a disease. Right. Uh, if you just off the cuff, not off the cuff, but at the outset... Cause. Stats. <laughs> uh, about what? eight, well, I was, I was gonna say off, you know, it just starting out with some stats instead of finishing out. Right. But off the cuff sound, makes it sound like I'm making this up. Right, right. <laughs> it does. It's not true. Yeah. Uh, about 8,000 children a year are born with it every year. Yeah, so and, like one uh, in 300. Yeah, and I got this from, uh, a Canadian site, so you know, that's good. Yeah, it's legit. Uh, they say it's the most common childhood physical disability. Uh, affecting uh, about 2.5 of every 1,000 live-term births and 22 out of every 1,000 live premature births, and it affects more boys than girls. Yeah, I saw premature births in particular um, have a higher incidence of cerebral palsy. Yeah. And I didn't know if it was the cerebral palsy caused premature births, but then I read it a little more in depth and saw that actually premature births is a risk factor for developing cerebral palsy. Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay. Uh, but with that broadly defined, let's, you want to jump back into a little bit of history? Yeah, let's, let's go back, way back yeah. to the 19th century. Yeah, way back to 1853, in fact, with Dr. John Little. Um, Charles this, Dickens is hard at work. Yeah. In the same country as Dr. Little? Uh, Dr. Little, this guy was a, a good dude. He was, uh, as a kid, he was afflicted with a lot of illnesses, and he basically grew up to say, like, you know what, that was no fun. That was BS. And so what I'm going to do is dedicate my life to, to discovering the causes of some of these things. Right. Uh, although he didn't have cerebral palsy, um, he started working in the 1830s. Uh, and his first kind of... Um, I guess the first way that he was actually on the really the right track was he started doing lectures on birth injuries, which we'll find out has, you know, birth injury can be a way that you can get cerebral palsy. Right. So and, that's where he was on the right track at first. But to him, birth injury was the only way to get cerebral palsy. And the only yeah. way that you could get cerebral palsy from a birth injury was if you were asphyxiated while you were being born. Correct. Which happened and happens. Right. So he was right. Right. But it turns Half out right. that the um, that was too narrow of an umbrella that he came up with. Yeah. And he did these lectures, uh, these really influential lectures that he later published called um, On the Nature and Treatment of the Deformities of the Human Frame. And um, it wasn't called cerebral palsy at the time, though. In fact, they called it Little's Disease. He was like, oh. Yeah. Shucks. shucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay. A lot of the diseases originally had the doctor's name, and some of them yeah. kept those. Yeah. You know? Like uh, Copgrass Syndrome. Remember that one? Yeah. Was that named after? Uh, Arnold Copgrass. 
Did you just make that up? I made up the first name. Oh, okay. But it was the name? Sure. And uh, Morgellons. <laughs> Morgellons? <laughs> Which way do you say it? You just confused me. See, you can't even remember now. Morgellon sounds right. But you were saying it because you were poking fun at me, I think. Perhaps. You don't even remember now. I think I do. I'll just have to go back and listen to the episode because <laughs> it's documented. Uh 1887 is when the term was actually coined by uh, Sir William Osler, who wrote uh, Cerebral Palsies of the Children. It was a book. And he used a lot of Little's work, um, or built upon Little's work, and finally gave it, uh, you know, that lasting name. Yeah. But he was the only one. That was a, a, a very famous Austrian yeah. doctor. Freud. Yeah. Freud got it right. Freud had some theories that... um that cerebral palsy could be developed or could be the result of something that happened during, um, before birth. Yeah. During in the pregnancy, womb. Yeah. Yeah. Or during development. That's what I was looking for. Um, and everyone's like, Freud, go back to your cigars and your mother fixation and all that. Yeah. Just, just leave this to us. Okay. Including little, like they got a little contentious at times. Yeah. A lot of contentious. Yeah. For two doctors, that is. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Freud said, you take the cigar and you stick it where the sun don't shine. <laughs> Maybe so. Uh, so it turns out Freud was right, that, um, but everyone just kind of ignored him until like 1980. The first study f- that really looked at cerebral palsy and uh, the development of cerebral palsy from a birth injury, an injury that occurred during birth. So would that be perinatal? Isn't that during birth? Neonatals right after birth. Perinatals during, right? So a perinatal injury, uh-huh. developing cerebral palsy. Everyone thought it was 100% of the cause. It turns out it's like 10% or less, something like 5 to 10% of births or of cases of cerebral palsy come from being injured while you're you're being born. Yeah. And there's all sorts of ways you can be injured. Some can happen naturally, like if you come out breech. Sure. Um, if you get stuck in the birth canal too long. Yep. If the doctor is a little too heavy-handed with the forceps, which yeah. is like a horrific thing that can happen. Sure. Um, you can also have a prolapsed umbilical cord where it comes out before the baby. Um, you can have the umbilical cord wrap around your neck. And any one of these things can cut off the blood supply to your brain or the oxygen supply to your brain, which are effectively one and the same. And either way, your little tiny brain is like, oh, well, this region's going down because yeah. I was just asphyxiated for a little while. Yeah. Uh, so his work was later you know, verified um, after his death. When did Freud die? Uh I, mean, I know it was in 1980. 30s. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. The actually. 30s. See Freud in a members only jacket? Yeah. <laughs> I could see him really living it up in the it, disco era. So he would have been at Studio 54. Sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In a, like, yeah. Uh, a couple of other folks who made uh, a name for themselves by doing a lot of great work uh, Leonard and Isabel Goldenson. Uh, their daughter had cerebral palsy and. Uh, she, uh, they basically dedicated their life to it for that reason, to learn more about it. Mm. And, um, sadly, she passed away at the age of 29 and they founded, uh, co-founded the United Cere- uh, Cerebral Palsy Association in 1950. And they are a really big organization now. Yeah. It says you're the fifth largest health agency in the United States. Yeah. Uh, and then in the, oh, geez, I don't remember the year, but there were some very famous books written. 
by a woman named Marie uh, Kalilia. Is that how we're going to say it? I would have said Kilalea, but... Kilalea? <laughs> if you want to go Hawaiian. Gotcha. Uh, they, uh, she wrote a book, a couple of very famous books on the bestseller list, uh, one called Karen and one called With Love from Karen, that really captured the attention of uh, the United States at large, and they were about her daughter's uh, struggle with uh, cerebral palsy. Yeah. And um, she, Karen, is still alive today. She, oh, uh, is, is she? Yeah, she's in her seventies and is very private, and I think works as a uh, as a secretary at a monastery or something. That is extremely private. Something like that. You want you want to keep to yourself, not have to put up with any chit chat at work. That is where you can get a job, probably. Very so, nice, um, yeah. secluded existence, <laughs> right? So the uh, those uh, I guess you'd call them civilians, non doctors. Um, help to really kind of expand public awareness of cerebral palsy is the impression I have, right? Yeah, in those books especially. Nice. Um, should we take a break? Let's take a break, man. All right, we'll take a break and we'll get into some of the uh, causes right after this. Before we broke, you said uh, we were talking about Freud and his, um, well, we were talking about childbirth injuries yeah, uh, being actually accounting for a fairly small amount, like 5 yeah. to 10%. But they used to think, because of Dr. John Little, that it was like, that was the cause of cerebral palsy. Right. Yeah. Uh, 70 to 80% of the time, Freud was right. Yeah, and you would think also that doctors, especially um, pediatric doctors, sure, the ones who are doing the deliveries would be like, yeah, yeah, Freud's right. It's definitely not birth injury. Like the obstetrician it's society. It's not our it's fault. Like, right, yeah. yeah. They'd be like, it's something else that's yeah. happening during pregnancy. It's not us. Interesting. But yeah. they didn't. They, well, did they you just know took of? it. You never know. Well, at the very least, it didn't, uh, it didn't happen. And if you look up, um, if you look up cerebral palsy caused by doctor error, like the first eight pages of Google are nothing but articles on law firm sites. Oh, sure. Like every single one. Yeah. Some of them seem like pretty, like well researched articles and right. well written, but you all of them are law firm sites. They're like, and and by the way, give us a call. Well, it's funny. Later, uh, we'll talk about this later. But with uh, uh, stem cell therapy, uh-huh. I looked into that some more because it's hard to get accurate information on that because. Mm-hmm. The first five pages of Google are all about companies that offer that are oh, really? trying to get money to do stem cell therapy. You kind of had to wade through that to get to actual facts, right? So I just I have so many questions. Now. Well, we'll get to that. Okay, all right, later on. Um, and then the remaining, what do we say? Seventy, eighty percent is during pregnancy, five to ten percent during childbirth, injury wise, mm-hmm. and then the remaining cases. Uh, as we'll see, are after birth up to the age of two or three. Right. As in, well, we'll, we'll get to the reasons why. So during pregnancy, there's a lot of stuff that can happen, but typically um, you're, you, you are either the baby comes down with a disease or an injury, mm-hmm. or um, the mother has a disease that um, affects the baby's development, right? Yeah, it could be a condition, an infection, a disease, We've talked about toxoplasmosis. Yeah. Why you shouldn't 
change out the cat litter if you're pregnant. Right. Uh, toxoplasmosis can lead to your baby being born with cerebral palsy. Yep. Uh, and uh, rubella used to be a big problem and a huge cause of um, cerebral palsy yeah. until they developed the vaccine for it. That's right. What is it? Measles, mumps, rubella? MMR. Wasn't there a good band like that called MMR? Mm, no, you would know. I think there was. As a matter of fact, I know there was. I'm Noel, just not that familiar with just, His eyes darted at you as if to say, did he just say my name? <laughs> uh, he still hasn't acknowledged us. That's all right. Okay. Um, what else? Uh, epilepsy, um, diabetes and epilepsy. If your mother has that, they have yeah. a higher chance, higher risk of having a baby with uh, CP. Right. And all of these things have um, a couple different effects. Like, or, or there's different different effects that these diseases or injuries can have. Yes. On the baby's development. Right. For, for starters, when you are building your tiny little brain in the womb, it starts out as, you, you start out as just a single cell, right? That starts dividing. Yeah. A fertilized cell that starts going haywire. But, but not haywire. Haywire in a very structured manner. Right. Okay. Um, well, eventually it gets to the neural tube. And the neural tube is this little, uh, roly poly, cluster of cells that on one end develops into the brain and on the other end develops into the spinal cord. And then as it's developing, the cells divide more and more and they actually become specialized and they migrate to the to these different areas of the brain and make up different parts of the brain, yeah. different regions of the brain, right? Yeah. If at any point any of that gets messed up or there's like a problem with the migration or some of the cells don't develop correctly, it, they there seems to be a pattern that they can follow where parts of the brain that direct movement in the muscles, ha- they, they tend to cluster in a, um, in a, in a way that that gets affected yeah. more than other place, more than other ways. And that's, and they don't cerebral know why. palsy. No, they don't, which yeah. is a pretty big mystery. You'd think it'd be like just a random roll of the dice. Right. What, you know, what was affected by these different conditions and diseases and injuries, but it does seem to kind of, fall on the spectrum toward um, the the conditions that that make up cerebral palsy. Yeah, it's really interesting. It is. It's it's odd. And and again, they they have no idea why. Hopefully they will one day. Well, I wonder if it, you know, there would just be a different condition if it was in a different area of the brain though, you know. You know, I mean, does that make any sense? Yeah, no, it does. But I I and then maybe there are conditions out there that we just aren't right. aware of, but everybody else knows about that. It is like, oh, if you're if you um your neurons don't migrate in this way, you right. have this condition. If they don't migrate in this way, you have cerebral palsy. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Uh so there are some pregnancy specific conditions uh that can cause CP. Um one's called uh preeclampsia. And that's when you, uh, it's a disorder that causes high blood pressure in the mother, uh, that's going to affect the blood flow to the umbilical cord. And again, all this goes, it all goes back to the same problem, which is the baby or developing fetus not getting enough blood and oxygen. Yeah. Or the neurons didn't migrate to the right way. There was either a problem with development or the developed cells were starved of oxygen. Right. And then apparently when that happens, they form holes in the brain. Yeah. Holes fill with water and then get covered over and they become cysts. Yeah. That's a lesion. Man. Yeah. So sad. Uh, we talked about RH uh, factor incompatibility in our blood podcast, which is 
one of our good ones. Yeah. The blood one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love that one. But um, if that happens, when the mother's blood type is uh, not compatible with the, with the baby's, uh, that can result in jaundice. Jaundice can lead, if it's severe enough, and they don't get the, the good treatment, it can lead to uh, a certain kind of brain damage that we'll call, uh, cause CP. It's called uh, <laughs> Kernicterus. I'm going to go with the silent C on that one. Oh, really? I'm going to make it a hard C. Kernicterus. All right. I know we, we sometimes look these things up. <laughs> I don't want to... No. Okay. I'm just saying uh, I've tried to get better about looking up pronunciations. Um, and we've had offers from people in the medical field. Yeah. Like, give me an email. I'll let you know. <laughs> but, um, it's become part of our show. No disrespect intended. Kernicterus. Uh, and we already talked about birth injury, which is one of the, uh, in the 5% range. Yeah. Five, five to 10%, right? Yeah. What did I say? 5%? Five yeah. to 10. Yeah. I mean, you were in their part way. Uh, about 50% of all kids with, uh, born with cerebral palsy. Uh, we're born prematurely. Uh, right. There's that um, premature birth being a risk factor for cerebral palsy. Yeah, exactly. It's so. Yeah, it's not the other way around. Right. But the article on the site makes it it seem like it's it is the other way around. The way the sentence is structured. Yeah, I agree. It's odd. Um, but you can, like we mentioned, um, and I mean it's all very sad. But you you can have a great birth, completely healthy baby. Mm-hmm. And then you can get cerebral palsy uh, due to an injury uh, at the age of, like, two. Right. Or if you almost drown or if you choke on something. Yeah. If that, that oxygen is interrupted. Right. Uh, you can acquire, I guess it's acquire. Yeah, it but, would that would be acquire. Uh, CP, you know, as late as three years old. Yeah, and the reason why... Uh, it does. You can't acquire cerebral palsy at age twenty or something like that. It's because your brain's developed by then. Yeah, I think your brain's fully developed by three to five years after you're born. Yeah. So you wouldn't. You would just have, I guess, a, a, a certain level of brain damage. It wouldn't qualify as cerebral palsy. And the reason why it wouldn't qualify as cerebral palsy is because cerebral palsy describes the symptoms, basically, of a specific type of brain damage that occurs during the brain's development. And again, it affects the muscles and their movement and control of it. Yeah, the other couple of ways um, that you can get it through injury after birth are meningitis and then the saddest thing on earth, uh, shaken baby syndrome. Which we need to do a whole episode on that. That is a very controversial um, thing. Controversial how? There's a, there's a lot of people out there who say it's not a real thing. That oh, really? people are being put in prison for something based on junk science. Interesting. Yeah. There's a um some somebody some group of people made a documentary about it uh-huh. and they offered to send us a link to it to watch it privately. What uh I mean obviously they're not saying shaking your baby is fine. They're just saying it doesn't lead to brain damage. No, I think they're saying like there isn't a sh- there isn't so su- yeah there isn't such a thing as a shaken baby syndrome. I don't know what the documentarians are saying because right. I haven't seen the documentary, but I have read other articles about it. Um, man, I wish I could remember the name of it. I'll I'll tweet it or something like that. But there there's this um, really great long form article about this couple I think in Dallas whose baby like injured himself uh-huh. and the dad. Just the EMTs came in and thought that the house, the scene looked kind of weird and didn't like the way the dad was acting. And all of a sudden, the guy's in prison now 
for years because he was convicted of shaken oh, baby syndrome. Well, that's different. Right. I thought you were saying that people contend, contend that shaking your baby like that can't lead to uh, these kinds of injuries and brain damage. I think some people do. See, that's just. I I'm, think some people I'll are say, saying like, like weird. shaking baby syndrome is not an actual thing. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I, that's why I'm saying we need to do a whole episode. Yeah, I'll have on to look it. into that. My gut reaction is it's child abuse affecting the baby's head. Sure, so how yeah. can it not have an impact if it's severe enough? I think, like okay, if you're, so, con- if so you're giving a baby me. a concussion. Right, right. Yes, you could shake your baby until it gets, until your baby has a concussion or has some sort of um, brain damage or injury, right? Yeah. I think what, what, Critics of shaken baby syndrome are saying is that the current understanding, the current scientific understanding where if you see this, this, and this in a baby, especially a a child who's just died under mysterious circumstances, it was the parent who shook it to death. Okay. And so send the parent to jail. Yeah, Yeah. And they're saying, no, that's junk science. You can't send people to jail based on the, gotcha. this criteria that we're currently using and sending people to jail with. Gotcha. Not, yeah, shake a baby as hard as you can. You'll never give it a, a concussion or kill it. Right. Like, that's, that's not what they're saying. Oh, uh, okay. No, they're saying, like, the science, the people scientific are, understanding. They're saying people are being wrongly convicted yeah. when there was no abuse going on. Right. That, so there's a witch hunt and it's based on junk science. Gotcha. Man, we gotta do one now. Yeah. I mean, we definitely just teased it enough, didn't we? Uh, so here's a, we, we have this little sidebar in the article that I had to look into a little more about magnesium sulfate, Mm -hmm. uh, in the New England Journal of Medicine in 2008, uh, they did, um, they published an article about a study about if you have a high risk of preterm delivery and you know this and you're given magnesium sulfate, the mother is, Mm -hmm. uh, it cut the rate of CP in half. By 50%. Um, and I looked up in studies, uh, basically what I came down to is this, is, and this was from that same uh, Canadian website. It said that if you do know, there are two things, two treatments to minimize it in newborns. Um, and one is magnesium sulfate if you know ahead of time huh. that you're at risk. Man, that is- And you like get on it. It's amazing. Uh, and then therapeutic hypothermia, which we've talked oh, about wow. before. Yeah, that stuff's magic. Uh, minimize the damage due to lack of oxygen or blood supply, which. Well, that one makes sense. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, um, like they, they will freeze you or bring you pretty close to freezing to keep you from going, from suffering brain damage because it yeah. lowers your metabolism. So you need less oxygen. And if you're oxygen deprived. Yeah. And they lower your metabolism. That's that, interesting. Yeah, that is. That was a great episode too. That was. Therapeutic hypothermia. Uh, so the magnesium sulfate does check out. Um, That's really astounding. Yeah. But again, it has to be given with the, you know, well in advance. So is it like a, a course of treatments or is it like, here, take the shot of magnesium sulfate and you'll be fine for the rest of the pregnancy? You know, I'm not sure. My inclination from reading it was that it was a course of treatments. Like you're on it during the pregnancy. Gotcha. But I might be wrong, but I think that's, I think that's the deal. You want to take a break? Yeah, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit about what's going on with the, the muscles. Station. 
All right, Chuck. So uh, we talked talk muscles. Let's talk muscles. So we talked about all the ways you can get cerebral palsy. Yes. Or acquire it or develop it. I guess get works, right? Sure. Um, but the the actual way that cerebral palsy is categorized is by the types of symptoms you have, and they're generally um, carved into three types of cerebral palsy. There's spastic. There is um, ataxic, right? Yeah. And then um, the third type is ethanoid dyskinetic. And spastic is by far the largest group of um, cerebral palsy. Should we talk about spas- spas- <laughs> spasticity? Nice. The tooth is coming. Are you psyched? I am psyched. <laughs> <laughs> Ready for my S's to be a little more contained. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, spasticity is the word. Uh, and you sent off, the, you sent over this little addendum. I think it really kind of helps understand yeah. how it all works. Uh, spasticity is basically the, the tension in your muscle. Right. And you always have this going on. Uh, otherwise we would just be laying down on the floor at all times. <laughs> right. Like you might not feel like your muscles are tensed or doing anything. Mm-hmm. But your muscles are tensed if you're sitting upright, right? And you're, or you're walking around, or you're doing anything. Yeah, there's so there's like a real um, conversation going on between your spinal cord and the muscles themselves, the yeah. nerve fibers in the muscles themselves, saying, "Hey, uh, we're getting a little too contracted here. Why don't you send us a little hit of relaxation?" And so your muscles are just constantly alternating to keep you sitting upright, to to let you talk, to just anything you use your muscles for. There's this interplay between tension and relaxation of the muscles. And, yeah. And all that's called tone. Yeah. And, and the really interesting thing is that when you're, the actual message for increasing that tone comes from the muscle. Yeah. I was fascinated by that too. The message to decrease it comes from the brain. Right. Which is weird. Yeah. Because the muscle's saying, hey, tell me to, to, to tighten. Yeah. It's like, just do it yourself, pal. Is there no brain involved there at all? I'm always having to hold your hand here. It said it goes directly from the muscle to the spinal cord. Yeah. It's crazy. I would think the brain would be involved. Uh, I think the brain gives the spinal cord a lot of leeway and <laughs> stuff like that. Like you take, you got this? Right. You got, you got this. You know what you're doing. Uh, but fly, like, fly, fly, little bird. <laughs> uh, like I said though, the brain is what tells the muscle to relax. And when you have the damage in cerebral palsy, when you have the damage to the brain, mm-hmm. it's not sending the right message, then you have an overworked, uh, not overworked, but the muscle is, is doing the, the message sending only. Yeah, because the muscles, um, neurons or, or, uh, sensory fibers are fine. So they're getting their message across loud and clear. But the other message that's part of that interplay, that conversation yeah. to, to relax is not coming through. So in, um, in spastic cerebral palsy, you have muscles that are basically constantly rigid and it may or may not be accompanied with, uh, by tremors, right? Yeah. Um, and the, the outcome, the result of a constantly tensed muscle, um, is is ultimately a deformity. Like yeah. the the limb might shrink, um, the bone itself can become twisted. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of things that can happen from just. I mean, just flex your forearm for for thirty seconds. Oh yeah, 
Like imagine that all the time, like yeah. unrelentingly. That's what spastic cerebral palsy is. So it's it's not like a, ch- a child who is born with spastic cerebral palsy comes out with limbs that are um, that are malformed or deformed. Right. Um, the, that that actually is the result of years, several, even just a few years of that constantly contracted muscle. Well, yeah, but we should point out though, it's not a degenerative disease. It doesn't get worse over time. No, it doesn't. But the the because it happens as your body's developing, yeah. If your muscles develop like that, um, like the the that will that will get worse until it develops into I think a, a certain equilibrium. Oh, okay. Uh, about seventy to eighty percent of uh, people get the spastic kind, and there are three uh, subgroups uh, within that. Uh, one is quadra, uh, sorry, quadriplegia, and that's when all four limbs are affected. Uh, you might have seizures and tremors. Uh, you might not be able to talk. You might not be able to walk. Right. Uh, might be wheelchair bound. And that's the most severe. Uh, yeah, because again, like I'm using a bunch of different muscles right now to yeah. talk and, uh, swallow. Sure. Eat. Yep. Bring food to my mouth. Uh, do anything. Yeah. Anything you need to use your, your muscles for. If you, uh, are a quadriplegic cerebral palsy sufferer, you are, you, it's all up for grabs. Yeah. You, you, there's, there, you might not, you might be able to do very little. That's true. Uh, hemiplegia, which is, uh, one side of the body. And as we've talked about the brain, it's usually affects the opposite side from where the injury is. Uh, you might have to have braces on your legs. Um, your limbs might grow at different rates, uh, but you probably can walk. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the final subgroup of the spastic kind is, uh, Diplegia, and that's the lower part of the body only. Um, you might be a toe walker, if you've ever heard of that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean if you're a toe walker that you have CP, because there are other causes of toe walking. Oh, really? Yeah. That's unusual. Yeah, I had a friend, actually, whose daughter was a toe walker. and um, I don't know that I've ever seen that. Like I, In researching this, I was trying to really? bring it, it to mind. I don't think I've ever seen anybody toe walk. Yeah. Uh, she Is got, it exactly what it sounds like? Yeah, huh. walking on your tippy toes. Uh, but it's, it's no good for balance. Like, sure. um, it's not just like, oh, that's a, a that's charming. Yeah. I mean, it, it actually affects their, their balance like big time. Well, I can imagine too. Yeah. Um, and, and like they're, uh, you know, she's constantly mo- in motion basically. Like she can never just stand still. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause you know, get on your tippy toes is mm-hmm. what it would be like. And, um, she eventually had a surgery. Um, hers wasn't CP and she had, I guess something elongated. Uh, to allow her attendant or something. I'm not exactly sure. Mm. But then, you know, it fixed it and she could like stand still for the first time in her life. So like her tendon was too short, which made, which brought her up on her tip, I tippy toes? I think so. I don't that remember makes a exactly, lot of sense, but actually. I think that's the way he described it. Huh. But, um, scissoring too is another thing. If, uh, your, your legs cross, um, that uh, I have seen. Yeah. Like when you, when you, Pick a baby up and uh-huh. they cross their legs yeah. immediately. That could be an early sign. Yeah. Number two, uh, <laughs> dyskinetic, uh, athetoid. I believe so. And those, those aren't, uh, you can call it either one, I think, right? This is a, a banner moment. We just agreed on a, on a pronunciation. <laughs> a pronunciation? Everybody do a shot. Uh, this can result in, uh, involuntary movements that are usually slower, usually in the arms. 
and they're repetitive, so it, it looks like a tick almost. Right. But they T I C. Right. <laughs> Not T I C K. Let me suck your blood. Um the the big difference with this one though is that your tone is usually um decreased. You you're not contracting. Well, it can be either. They can be rigid or or they describe it in here as loose and floppy. Okay, so let me ask you this then, Chuck. Is that loose and floppy and then rigid in the same patient? Like it's going from alternating from one to the other or Two, somebody could have loose and floppy tone or rigid tone, and they could both still have athetoid dyskinetic uh, that CP. That is a good question. I don't know. I mean, if you read the literal sentence, sometimes their muscles are stiff and rigid. Other times they are loose and floppy. Yeah. Makes it sound like one person can have these. It can come and go, maybe. Right. Uh, Who knows? Well, yeah. I guess we'll never know. No, someone will let us know. <laughs> You'd think we would know. Uh, you may actually have difficulty walking, uh, talking, eating. Um, basic motor skills might be affected if you have this kind. Uh, and then finally, ataxic, ataxic CP is the least common, 5 to uh, 10%. Um, and this is like when you have trouble with your fine motor skills, like you might not be able to write well uh, or you, know, you might have trouble walking, uh, you, you can walk, but you might have trouble with your balance. Mm. And uh, this one has another interesting side effect called an intention tremor. And that's when you, it's it's very specific to, like you have an intention, like I want to go pick up that cup of coffee. Like your hand might be fine and not have a tremor, but when you go to do something with it specifically, it will start a tremor. Right, which has to be really frustrating. Oh yeah, I can't imagine. But it makes sense if if it if a taxic um, affects the fine motor skills. Yeah, I mean it it takes increasingly more um, fast twitch muscles to when you finally do go to grasp and pick something right. up, then it does just move your arm toward it. Yeah, you know. Uh, and you can have a mix of these uh, as well. Yeah, and that's the, called mixed CP. And these are not. This isn't like a, you a spastic is the worst, and athetoid is the second worst, and then ataxic is the lightest. You can have um, mild or severe versions. Sure. In each of these, it just describes what what the symptoms are, what areas are affected, and how they're affected. Yeah, and I, I get the feeling it all comes down to the severity of that initial brain injury. It does. I read somewhere that cerebral palsy, there's no two cerebral palsy cases alike. Yeah. Because the region of the brain that's affected uh-huh. is a factor, when it's affected in, in the development of the brain. Sure. And then how, how, how the, uh, whether it was, say, from a disease that the mother had or an injury that occurred a couple of years after birth. Um, so every person with cerebral palsy, uh, is a special little snowflake. Yeah. That's true. Um, in terms of diagnosis, uh, when you're a baby, uh, doctors will look at uh, things like weak muscles or very tight muscles. Mm-hmm. Uh, when your baby crawls, uh, if one leg kind of drags behind, that could be a, an early sign. Uh, I talked about the scissoring already and the, and the toe walking. Uh, any kind of really bad posture, difficulty balancing, mm-hmm. um, which is can be tricky because, you know, babies don't have great balance to begin with. So, (laughs) you know, diagnosing it is uh, eventually they're going to get you in a, in a brain scan uh, if they really think that, you know, your symptoms might be leading down that road. Right. And there's like a, a, 
there's a fine line to walk as a parent between freaking out over nothing or unnecessarily mm-hmm. and getting it early because basically every course of treatment for dealing with cerebral palsy and managing it because again it's it's incurable the, the, literally the damage is done yeah but you can treat and manage the symptoms yeah the earlier you catch it the the better the outcome you can possibly have from that treatment for sure things like um working on muscle mus- muscle development uh-huh. um massages are really big yeah yoga is uh, huge yeah teaching the little kid yoga uh-huh. and even like if you can if you can um uh diagnose cerebral palsy as an infant you'll want to start like working out pumping those legs yep. just um wor- just really working on the muscle development has a big impact on uh the child's life later on yeah uh some of the things um with the other kinds uh with the uh athetoid dyskinetic cp uh, which, like I said, could result in trouble breathing and speaking and eating. Then you're going to be doing a lot of therapy with uh, speech-language pathologists, um, different modes of communication, occupational therapy, uh, so they can learn how to feed themselves. Um, and again, no two are alike, so it's really going to depend on the severity as to what kind of therapies you're going to need. Right. And one other thing, too, about catching this early, Chuck, is that the the brain, again, is still developing, which means it's highly plastic. Yeah. So you can actually find novel ways to do stuff without using say your arm right. or your leg. Like there's a um a very famous guy named Christy Brown. Oh, was that uh my yeah. left foot? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he had severe cerebral palsy That's right. and his left foot would follow the commands from his brain. So he did uh-huh. he created art with his left foot. Man, what a movie that was. I never saw it. It's pretty good. Yeah. He was an Irish poet and artist, I believe. Yeah, I think just any Daniel Day-Lewis movie is just a must. Yeah. He's, he's one like, of those. He's like the Brando. Like, you you just have to see it. Sure. You know? What are you about to say? What do you think of my life for? <laughs> I'm Daniel Day-Lewis. As Lincoln. <laughs> He's so good though, it's just ridiculous. That was, that was the line that clinched the Oscar that year. What do you think of my left foot? <laughs> you know, he's the one that goes <laughs> so far and in, deep into the method that like, you know, I think when he was on, uh, what movie was it where he basically worked as a, like a 19th century carpenter? <laughs> I don't know. He like jumped, was he in the crucible? Uh, no, I think that was Gary Oldman. Well, they might have both been in it. Or no, he was in the Scarlet Letter. One of the, oh, no. It sounds like Daniel Day-Lewis. He basically jumped in with the set carpenters uh-huh. and was like, I'm going to help build these sets right. with my old school They're like, oh, tools. great, yeah, that's great, Mr. Day-Lewis. We'd love to have you. Yeah, now bring in the real one right. <laughs> after he builds it. Everything just falls over as he's walking away. Job well done. <laughs> what accent would you like me to try now? Uh Drugs. Yes. They use drugs uh, sometimes. Muscle relaxers can help with the spasticity. Yeah. The tremors. Um, uh, benzodiazepines, yeah. like Valium. Yeah. I think Xanax is one of those. The problem is is you're giving those to a two- or three-year-old. Yeah. And they're on, like, Valium all the time. Yeah. There's there's un, undesirable side effects of it, but they do work. Botox? Apparently, Botox is, like... 
killing it. Yeah, and it's a it's FDA approved now as an off label use. Mm-hmm. So um, Botox is uh, it's the uh, botulin toxin, right? Yeah, but it it paralyzes muscles. So if you in if you inject Botox into a spastic muscle, um, it relaxes it, and it lasts apparently for months. Um, for treatments, and, and it might not just be like, oh, okay, everything's all all good, but it's going to definitely reduce the effects of the spasticity. Yeah. Um, enough that it's a it's a pretty good treatment. Um, and they apparently are not finding many harmful side effects at all with it. That's great. Yeah. We should do one on Botox. Okay. I know that we had a, a listener write in and say, I started keeping count of how many times you said that, and I'm up to like. 70 or 80. Yeah. And if we could remember him, well, I was like, well, what, what's the list? Yeah. And he said, oh, well, I'm not writing them down. I've just been making notches on my cave wall. Yeah. And I was like, well, what good are you? <laughs> we need a list. We can't keep track of this stuff. I'm writing them down. <laughs> uh, he might start writing well, them Well, I, I keep the list to my own blood. <laughs> I can't write the titles. Uh, some children, you might have a, a pump permanently. Well, maybe not permanently, but a, a pump implanted in your abdomen. Pretty uh, permanently. Once you get old enough mm-hmm. uh, to deliver a constant stream of a drug called uh, baclofen. It's an antispasmodic. Apparently, it works really well. Really? But you can overdose from it, which is not good. So what does that mean? Like the pump better work right? Uh, yeah. It's automatic. Yeah. Wow. That's a little scary. Probably shouldn't connect and let it be connectable to Bluetooth or anything hackable, <laughs> too. I would agree with that. Uh, and then surgeries. You talked earlier about your bones becoming twisted. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can untwist them surgically. Yeah. They they will, um, I guess, probably cut them in two. Yeah. And then just twist them around so that they're aligned in a, in a straight line again. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, if you think about it, like, it, the fact that that works is astounding. Yeah. That's a pretty primitive operation if you think about it. Like, yeah. if you really think about the, the nuts and bolts of it, it's, well, the bone twisted this way, so we're going to cut it in two and yeah. then reset it so that it's back to the way it's supposed to be. Yeah, it sounds like something a barber would have thought exactly. of. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking, a barber surgeon. Have you heard about the head transplant that's happening? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, dude. Is it Rosie Greer? No. I'm not even sure what that means. Uh, The thing <laughs> with two heads? It was Ray Milan and Rosie Greer, I think. The man with two heads? The Steve Martin movie? No, no, no. Man with two brains. This was, this is the thing with two heads. Oh, boy. I never Ray Milan and I think it's Rose, and it might not be Rosie Gray. It could be Jim Brown. Was it a movie? Oh, dude, you've not seen player? it? Yeah. It was well, like a Saturday shocker. No, this is a, a, a real surgery. I need, uh, I mean, it's happening very soon if it hasn't already. And I read about it on, on one of our UK flights. There's a surgeon that is, I think he's Italian that is, he, he's found a body donor, which is a body on life support with no chance of coming off life support. Mm-hmm. And he is taking the head off of the man who needs help. No. Putting it on this body. No. Supposedly. There are, he is roundly being called a quack. Yeah. In a lot of circles. But the doctor said, yeah, those same people are calling me quack are also calling me up and saying, like, how are you doing this? Like, tell yeah. me, like, is it possible? They'll all be licking my boots when this is over. Maybe. I mean, it's. It, I couldn't believe what I was reading when I, I was reading this I article. I can't believe what I'm hearing. Um, they freeze, I think, the body and the head, and there's like an hour 
that they have to get this thing reattached and the blood flowing and the nerves connected. Right, and to make it worse, they play the Jeopardy theme. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like turning that out. Uh, so this guy, I can't remember what, um, affliction he has, but it's, um, it's bodyitis. It, well, no, it's something sort of like this in that he has no, uh, but I think it's degenerative where he has no control over his own body. Oh, is it ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease? I don't think it's ALS. I wonder. Uh, and the guy was volunteering saying, you know, I might very well die, but he's like, somebody's got to go first. Man, that and I'm is willing to insane. Do so. Yeah. The number of like nerves and blood vessels oh, yeah. and everything that you would have to connect the, the spinal column to the brain. Like, how would you even do that? I don't know, man. I mean, it does, it seemed like Botox. Crazy science when I was reading it, and yeah. by all means, it might be. I got to check that out. Yeah, that's amazing. I mean, we're gonna do it sooner or later. Yeah, it's just insane that it's happening now. Well, I thought, he, it, I thought for sure in the 2020s at the earliest. Yeah, he called it head transplant, but once I read it, it feels more like a body transplant. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess it's, yeah, tomato, tomato. Sure. At that point, head transplant sounds awesomer. That's probably why I picked it. Yeah. Um, where were we? Oh, surgeries. Um, there are also surgeries, uh, if you have severe spasticity, um, where they actually identify nerve fibers and cut those. It's called, uh, selective dorsal, uh, rise, <laughs> rhizotomy? Yeah. yeah. And, um, a rhizotomy. That's a last resort <laughs> surgery, though. Yeah. It's not like uh, something they would go to right away. Yeah. Cause I, I would imagine once you cut a nerve, to your muscle, like you can't use that muscle anymore. Yeah. But if it's been spastic your whole life, you're probably like, fine, fine, yeah. just cut it. I'm sick of it. Uh, and then the cord blood therapy, which we talked about earlier. Uh, what I found was this. Currently, there are no uh, approved stem cell therapies for treating cerebral palsy. So I think they're all in clinical trials. Um, and it's interesting. This Canadian website said, if you research this, uh, Across the website, you will come across companies that say otherwise and offer fee-based treatments, which is what I found, mm-hmm. which is super sad and the worst thing to prey on people mm-hmm. that are willing to pay whatever on something that may or may not work. Right. So these aren't approved. They are in trials, though, and they're seeing uh, if either your own cord blood, and one of the problems is people are starting to bank their cord blood more now, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a very common thing. So people are like, well, I don't have any cord blood. So they think that uh, sibling cord blood could, um, oh. or, or sibling stem cells. What do they call those? Like savior babies or something like that? Yeah. Something like that. But, um, it's not quite there, but that it, it could be at some point. That is fascinating. Yeah. Although it's a tough act to follow the head transplant. Well, sure. <laughs> you know? I have a feeling that this guy won't ever, you know, he probably won't do a lot of med- medicinal practicing if he if it doesn't go well. No. Who knows? Uh, he'll go back to, like, merging pigs and orangutans. It's sort of what it sounded like. Huh. Uh, your life expectancy is normal if you have CP. Um, but like you indicated, you could have worsening mobility over the years. Right. And we should also say, I think a lot of people assume that people with cerebral palsy have um, intellectual disabilities. They very well may. If the brain or if the blood supply or oxygen supply is cut off to your brain, right. uh, that can lead to intellectual disabilities. That's almost comorbid, though, right? 
Or co-occurring. Yeah, co-occurring. Did you see somebody write that in? No. They were like, Chuck, don't worry, there's another term for it. Yeah, co-occurring. like co-occurring. Because it's not necessarily because of the CP, it's because of the brain injury, right? Right, right. Um, so it would be co-occurring, right? Um, so some people who have CP also have uh, an intellectual disability. You would be very much mistaken to assume that all people who have CP have an intellectual disability. And I think you could probably bet that most people who have CP who you talk to, like they have an intellectual disability, would resent that tremendously. Sure. Because they are typically of average intelligence or even above average intelligence. Yeah, I imagine that's a big struggle. Yeah, especially if you have this uh, condition called uh, dysarthria. Okay. Where you can't speak. Because you can't control those muscles. So people just assume that um, since you can't speak, you have an intellectual disability. Or uh, do you remember Jerry Jewell? Oh, yeah. Jerry from Facts of Life? Sure, the comedian. Uh Uh-huh. And she was also in Deadwood, too. Oh, yeah. She played Jewell, who I think was like an innkeeper or tavern lady or something like that. Boy, that was a good show. Um, She... Didn't have intellectual disabilities, but people assumed she did because she right. had a certain amount of uh, dysarthria. Uh, same with Josh Blue, another comedian. Yeah. By the way, Jerry started out doing stand-up in the 70s. Oh, no, I remember that. Um, Josh Blue won Last Comic Standing, I think. Oh, really? He's a very famous uh, stand-up comedian who has cerebral palsy. Uh, what about R.J. Mitty? Yeah, we both wrote him down. <laughs> if you look at the notes. <laughs> R.J. Mitty is at the top. Yeah, he's at the top. Uh, if you've seen Breaking Bad and you know uh, and love Flynn the, or Walter White Jr. People loved him or they hated him. I thought he was great. Yeah, he was. Like, uh, I mean, what, what you know, he's I, a handsome kid. He I, was a good actor. And why not put someone in there? Like, I think people are like, well, why, why do they, why does he have cerebral palsy? Like, why not? Yeah, because people have it, and as soon as we normalize this by just saying, you know, "Sure, put him in that role," why not? Exactly. It, like it, it had no impact on the show. No, it might have. I mean, maybe there was an extra vulnerability that the family felt as protectors. But I think that humanized them even more, sure. rather than it added certainly an, an extra amount of depth to their characters. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. And um, he, he was awesome. Did, have you heard of Abby Nicole Curran? No. She was Miss she represented Iowa. She was Miss Iowa for the Miss USA 2008 pageant. Uh-huh. Um I already mentioned Christy Brown, my left foot guy. Uh there's a dude named Jerry Trailer who jogged across the United States on his crutches. Wow. Jogged across the US on his crutches. Crazy. Um and then Stephen Stephen Hopkins had cerebral palsy and he signed the Declaration of Independence. And he had this awesome quote, "My hand trembles." My heart does not. Ugh. Love that guy. Good stuff. And then lastly, if you want to um, just kind of see what it's like to live with cerebral palsy, there are a lot of um, online journals, Facebook pages of people who are more than happy to tell you about it. Yeah. I came across one called CP Daily Living, um, and it it's a, the, written by the mom of a nine-year-old girl named Maya who uh, has cerebral palsy. And, like, it's it's extremely uplifting and inspiring yeah. and then heart-wrenching and just neat to just kind of peek in on this girl's life. She's the new Karen. That's why those books yeah. captured America's attention because it was really just about the ins and outs of your life. Yeah, this is this is exactly what that's like. Yeah, interesting. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a neat blog for sure. 
So cerebral palsy, get off our backs, Kyle, okay? Yeah, and uh, Cerebral Palsy Awareness Month, I believe, is March. Boom. So we're is coming we're, out in September. <laughs> we're either late or we're early. We're both. Yes. Uh, if you want to know more about cerebral palsy, uh, go online. You can also type those words in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. And since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this uh, clearing up a couple of things. About ice? Is this about ice? No, but we should go ahead and issue that. Um, there was a gaffe about ice being more dense than water. The one liquid that's that's not. And first of all, we want to thank... Actually, let me take that back because that's probably wrong. And we'll get <laughs> listener mail about that. First of all, we want to thank the uh, 42,000 people who mm-hmm. sent us messages. 42,019. And counting. Mm-hmm. What? One just came in. We yep. should have a counter. <laughs> yeah, <we> should. Ding, <laughs> ding. <laughs> um, but if you listen to our Icebergs podcast... Josh very eloquently explains the correct thing. Oh, I just forgot. Huh? In depth in the Icebergs podcast. So thanks, man. How did you know that? You remembered it? Well, no. Someone said, "Josh, you you did a great job explaining it correctly in the Icebergs podcast." And mm-hmm. yeah, it was just a little goof. But thanks I'm, I'm for just everyone. like a, at this point a, a, a marionette of knowledge. <laughs> I just lurch from one fact well, to another. Yeah, and get it's them sort wrong of along the way. proof that things get jumbled up there after oh, yeah. 850 something shows. Yeah. You know? I gotta go back and listen to Icebergs again. I remember Make that one being good. a good one. Just like when you go to bed tonight, put it on under your pillow, right. and just curl up. A single <laughs> tear rolls down my cheek and freezes. Um, <laughs> Alright, hey guys, just want to say your podcast has been an absolute revelation for me. I've avoided podcasts for the last decade somehow, but I started a new job with an hourly commute, we're the commuter's best friend. Yeah, they'll do it. Uh, and picked up you guys as my first one. Uh, anyway, you're pretty much, uh, you were pretty full of info. I thought I'd pose a question that I came up with in the shower. Is it better to hear good news first or bad news? I could see good news being better first, so bad news would be softened, but the opposite could make sense to help take your mind off the bad news once you've heard the good news. Mm. Any thoughts? Uh, definitely. It's a personal preference. Bad news first. Yeah, I'm a bad news first guy, too. Mm. Yeah. Just get it out of the way. I want to know the bad first. And then, yeah, there's a treat coming afterward. Yeah. (laughs) You know? You get the sugar with the uh, medicine. Yeah. Like Mary Poppins. Yeah. All right. I I agree. Um, Mostly, I wanted to tell you guys how much you've uh, enriched my life um, by not only making my commute better, but teaching me about topics I had no idea were so fascinating. Like icebergs. Uh, so you get a lot of emails like this, but from the bottom of my heart, I want to say thank you for what you do. Nice. And that is Jacob Beasley. And there's another question. Oh, okay. Wow, this guy's following. And it's a P.S. Uh, what's the difference between a fact and a factoid? I always thought a factoid is a statement that appears true that isn't. And you guys use it a lot. I'm sure, uh, you, uh, I'm, sure I'm incorrect. Jacob, yeah. you're not. We it, are. Factoid, no. Factoid's one of those words. Because language evolves as a living thing mm-hmm. that now has officially two meanings. Uh, Norman Mailer invented the term factoid. Oh, he did. In the 70s. And like uh, truthiness? Yeah, sort of. Yeah. Uh, but his original definition was a piece of information becomes accepted as fact, even though it's not true. Hmm. Um, that sounds like Norman Mailer all over. Oh, totally. But since then, it has evolved to, it can mean just a, a insignificant little fact. Right, like a nugget. Yeah, it's it's evolved into what it sounds like finally. Yeah, Yeah. so language evolves, people. It does, man. Decimate 
Octopi, mm-hmm. octopuses, octopods. Yep. Take your take your pick. Yeah. And stop being weirdos about it. Yeah. Pedantry is no fun for anyone. No, it's not. Uh, if you want to hang out with Chuck and I on our social meds, you can catch up with us on Twitter at SYSK Podcast. You can hang out with me at Josh underscore um underscore Clark. You can hang out on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know or Facebook.com slash Charles W. Chuck Bryant. Uh, you can send us an email to stuffpodcast.howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. 